0: Good evening. On a a Wednesday evening, I am Ajay Ramasubramaniam, co-founder and and CEO at Hindsight Ventures. Welcome to the fifth episode of Founders 52. Before we jump into the conversation with our guest, who is Joseph Rutakangwa, the co-founder and CEO at Razi and so on. So with that, I'd like to welcome Joseph onto the talk. Joseph, how have you been?
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ajay. Um, uh, I've been I've been good. It's been a busy, busy quarter, but uh, I can't complain. Busy is what we like.
0: Um, so I'm, I'm doing very well. Awesome. And busy is always good. For the good or bad, being busy exactly. is, is good for an entrepreneur and for an individual. Yes.
2: So, yes,
0: so yes. Joseph, they keep saying data is the new oil, but when yes. we do not have any data points, we go to Razi. Is that what it is?
1: Yes, exactly. So you know, data is the new oil. Uh, we, you know, whoever has data can you know, you know can jump ahead of the competition, roll out products that um, they already know that people want, um, roll out you know price points that people are actually uh, willing to work with, and so forth. Right, and and even know where to find um, their customers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now more than ever, because of this hyperinflation and you know these economic times, companies rely on data to guide them on where to actually invest their resources and which kind of product lines to push, uh, services and so forth. So now with data, the 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 problem is emerging markets, you know, if you look at you know, countries like um, you know, countries that are found in, in South Asia in Sub-Saharan Africa, um, you know, and Latin America. The problem is most of the consumption happens in cash. So people don't use as much as, you know, in Africa we have mobile money. It's very prevalent. People don't use it for payment and and purchases of, you know, normal products like toothpaste and uh, body spray, etc. So because more than 98% of transactions are in cash, they don't leave a digital footprint on what product is bought when, you know, for how much, et cetera. So companies are running blind in all these markets, including local companies that are supposedly, you know, you know very well-versed within their, their local markets. So you end up having a situation where uh, companies have to rely on anecdotal insights and, you know, where you, you, they say business moment, VP flies from the UK, goes to Nairobi, looks around and then, you know, goes back to UK and writes, <laughs> writes a strategy on how to, how to capture the, the market in, in Kenya, which is very expensive because you end up spending millions of dollars and falling flat on your face. So what Razi does in that space is utilize a network of local consumers, the, the buyers of all these products, to log their purchases using our mobile app and web app, log their purchases and log their consumption at home so that companies have visibility on how these guys are spending, how much they're earning, you know, how do they decide, um, you know, spend on what kind of product categories, what kind of brands, why, how long do they keep them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we've been doing that since 2021, and we see a huge increase in demand, especially like post-COVID demand was much higher because companies were, more, you know. Tightened, you know, backed against the wall because of the supply chain pressures, and then now we have inflationary pressures. And you know, in Africa, some some countries have fifty percent inflation and plus. So, with the same salary, higher priced goods, what do you choose to buy? And that's what everyone wants to know.
0: Amazing. So, if I want to go from point A to point B and I'm driving, I don't know how to get there. I have Google Maps. You're yes. essentially building Google Maps or navigation for brands to get into the yes. real world. So that's yes. an exciting yes. thing to do. How did you even identify that problem? Yes, yeah, so I, I
1: I can map the problem all the way back to my time in in secondary school, where I had this experience where you go to the library or you go online and search for books or you know resources on you know Africa and won't find any. And to me, it was like kind of uh, you know, like a terrible, terrible experience because like, okay, are you saying that we don't have any footprint, we don't have any writers, we don't have any history that can be documented and, and loaded online? So it started with that experience, but the specific experience to, to data in in, in the markets came when I was going through a postgraduate program at Lehigh University in 2013. And after that program, I started getting a lot of consulting. Um, work with uh, multinational companies that were expanding in emerging markets, and I was, you know, almost always the only African guy on the teams. And my job was find us the market in Africa, and then tell us which product out of our portfolio of products can we roll out within that market at what price, through which you know sales channels, targeting what kind of consumer, etc., etc., etc. And you know, lo and behold. None of that information was available anywhere online, right? Zero, like almost zero, uh, you know, digital footprint of that kind of um, information. And I had to rely on ministries. So you have like ministries of commerce, uh, ministries of trade, and so forth to get that information. They either had really high-level macro information that is outdated, like five years, ten years old, um, or they didn't have anything at all. And that's including national bureaus of statistics, and these are the guys who are supposed to actually have you know quite a bit of data, and they did not. So you know then we turned to chambers of commerce and traditional market research companies and so forth, but no one had the ability to cover a very very large you know uh, geographical area with a lot of consumers. I'm talking hundreds of thousands, and at a very very high you know pace continuously right so for instance traditional research firms or you know chambers they would run a, what they call a study which is maybe talk to a few people run panels and then use that to write reports and that's it but that's extra and then you extrapolate so for instance you would um, talk to 50 people and then extrapolate on a city of 20 million but when we use that kind of information and you roll it out, you know, through trade marketing and sales and so forth, it doesn't work. You fall flat on your face because there's a huge extrapolation that assumes that people in a city like Lagos behave the same. Or people in Lagos behave the same as people in Abuja or Kaduna or, and so forth. And that's not the case. In Africa, huge variations. So I ended up realizing that the problem is much, much larger than I anticipated more companies need this kind of data and no one is actually paying attention how to provide it and i teamed up with eric who's my co-founder and we went through a long long journey of figuring out what how do you actually capture the data accurately how do you go through the payments and it's a long complicated process and at the end we came up with swazi
0: amazing so for for a small matter of fact, you're competing with a several decades old company called Nielsen, which used to do yes. this globally. And, yes. and they see you as friends, partners, they see you as competitors. What's, what's, what does it look like for you to compete with someone like that?
1: So for us, we actually do not um, see ourselves as competitors to Nielsen because we are not a market research firm, right? We don't write reports. Uh, we don't quote unquote conduct studies, right? So what we do, we capture data as it is, and then customer accesses a dashboard on our platform which has the data feeds. So that's analytics and insights from consumers, the actual consumers that they want to sell to. So think of it as, you know, same thing, you'd go to, let's say, Google Google Ads, the Google Ads platform. You launch uh, an ads campaign, and then you start seeing this data on the viewership of your ad and clicks and so forth. So that's how our platform operates. So we have mobile app for the, for the consumers and then we have a the dashboard for the, for the companies. The companies see exactly which retail outlets have their products or if it's a service company like a fintech app or a bank or, and so forth, they'll see how many of the consumers are using their you know, credit cards or you know, debit card and how many are saving and so forth, right? They'll see the data feeds. Yeah. We don't then write recommendations and advice and that kind of stuff. We don't do any of that. And we don't extrapolate. So if you're if you're tracking, let's say, consumption across ten thousand households, we don't then say because ten thousand households are buying, you know, of them, let's say seven thousand five hundred are buying, um, you know, Colgate. Therefore, you know, Colgate distribution in Lagos is seventy-five percent. No, Lagos is twenty million people. So ten thousand retail outlets gives you uh, ten thousand households. Give you an idea of where you know which retail locations close to those uh, households you can put your product and what those people want, those exact people, what do they want, and so forth. So, in that sense, we are not we are a data analytics company. We're not a market research firm or advisory or consulting firm. So we don't compete with them. As a matter of fact, um, we you know would work with them to actually feed them with you know a lot of data that they can use to write reports and do other things.
0: Great, and, and 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 on that line or that note, I, I'm pretty sure that being in the industry, you would know this. Probably, Nielsen was was facing a, a fear of missing out because of which they've launched Nielsen IQ a few quarters back, which is basically a black yes. box that companies like yours could plug into, or probably yours could kind of partner with. So I'm sure that Arion is yes. trying to play catch up with startups like like yourselves who have rightly yes. identified the problem, especially for for emerging markets and where if it's a research and insight based company extrapolation may not necessarily yield the right kind of outputs or outcomes which management yes. sitting in a different country may want to kind of write a business plan or strategy on the basis of and and yes. and continuing on the same vein i mean because in your case i mean even if you look at different content platforms which all of us are are consuming with mobile and internet there's a huge demand for yes. Uh, contextualized content, there is uh, user-generated content. I mean, if you look at user-generated content from a news and reporting standpoint, citizen journalism worldwide has taken it a a different course by itself. And likewise, when you're doing insights and information from the consumer for the consumer, how is it pursued by brands?
1: So that's the most valuable part. So that's why we're in business. So we're in business because... Uh, so we tried so many models before ending up with the consumer model. So we tried, um, because I had both from Nielsen when I was a consultant, I was buying you know reports from Nielsen and hiring Nielsen to do the, the polls and all those things. And it wasn't working. And we realized it's not working because you're getting someone else to tell you what someone else is thinking. That's not correct. You need to get it from the host's mouth, Yeah. right? So, you know, we, we started with, okay, can we hire you know, a bunch of young people, you know, and pay them monthly and then have vans, put fuel in vans and then drive them around the city and then get them to, um, to map, quote unquote. We call it mapping, get them to map. The problem is these guys, you would drop the quality of data would drop by 50 percent just by having someone else tell you what someone else is thinking. So if I ask you, um, you know, Ajay, what kind of soda, you know, you have in your house? just by me being in between you and the submission, you're dropping the quality of data by 50%, right? Mm -hmm. So we decided, okay, that that model doesn't work. And, you know, it has now operational, you know, inefficiencies, such as if you want to track a million people, how many people are you going to need to talk to a million people? That becomes a disaster. That's why companies like Nielsen can't do it. So we ended up having um, a model where you have to have the actual consumer who is... who is who. Like if I'm using Colgate, Unilever, which has Pepsodent, wants to move me from Colgate to Pepsodent. So they want to know why I'm using Colgate. They want to talk to me. They don't want to talk to some research guy or someone else who, you know, who asks me. No, they want to talk to me and they yeah. want me to let them in my house and show them, you know, how am I using? What kind of tube? What kind of uh, mint? Is it mint? Is it hairball? And then how often they want to, to, like, dive into my experience in my home right and that's where the value is so for us you know we talk to we have a you know a lot of fortune 500 companies and and other companies of different sizes and mm. we ask them why did you pick Rozi, and they tell us because we were getting data from the actual target consumer that we want to flip right and that that was is where we changed um we changed
0: the model and I'm sure that your your stints with uh, perno Ricard did play some kind of role because when you talk of yes. aspects like route to market and so on, which is at the core yes. of, of what you do, I'm sure that that's, yes. uh, that did help you in some way. Who who yes. would be your top five customers and, and how do you think they have benefited from you pre-Rwazi to now with you? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, our top five customers, we
1: have uh, worked with Companies like MasterCard, p Lauda, PNG, we track products for um, a bunch of companies like that, Marubeni and such. Those are like the the, the large ones. Yep. And the the huge, the huge impact that they've had to us is the the scale at which um, you were tracking their products is very large. Like you know, 60 cities across all of Africa that have a population of one million people and above every single week. So this is not like a one of things like you're tracking that every single week. And that scale enables has enabled us to uh, grow, right? So the model that we picked to run the company is get the customer to drive your growth. So we grow we increase the number of consumers, we increase the number of locations based on the subscriptions, right? So if the subscription mm-hmm. is get me data from, you know, Abuja, then we'll get data from Abuja. That's when we expand to Abuja. Rather than, you know, go to Abuja first and then wait for people to ask you um, to get data from Abuja. So that has driven a lot of our growth. Right now we have companies in uh, Serbia, Japan, uh, you know, UK, France, the US is the you know, major market. Of course. And, so forth. and all these companies want data from, from a huge, huge range of locations. Of course, you know, as you may suspect, Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda and and such are the biggest, um, you know, the biggest um, data demand markets. Not so much South Africa, right, as you'd think South Africa would be top top on the list, but it's not. So it's most of these emerging places where they're seeing, you know, brands aren't established, certain types of products or banking services um, or such aren't well-established. So let's just get in there, know what consumers want, and roll out our products.
0: Amazing. So, so this this segment of questions that I had for you was more from an, uh, a twenty thousand feet overview of the industry and the business. Now let's let's get a bit personal. Let's let's get to to know Joseph a little. If I'm not yeah. wrong, you're Tanzanian, right? Yes, I am Tanzanian. Yes. Great. And and currently, do you live in Tanzania or? Uh, no, I live in Los Angeles. Um,
1: before that, I was living in Mauritius. I've moved around a lot. So I haven't okay. lived in Tanzania for a long time. You're a global um, Tanzanian. But, yeah, I am Tanzanian. I, I, I was born in Tanzania, but I, I was born in Tanzania. I grew up there, but when I started primary school, I went to primary school in Uganda. And you know that's when I started moving around. So I've moved around a lot. I mean, I'm what you call a third culture kid. Yeah. You no, know, that person that has identities in different locations, different oh, yes. in the cultures. Oh yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, what what did you study? What did you study? Where did you study? Uh, yes. What What has What has your pre entrepreneurial journey been like? Yes. Yeah. So
1: before um, before entrepreneurship, I how, is there such a thing? Because I started running businesses. So in 2010, I finished high school. I finished my exchange year in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, high school, went back to Tanzania, um, I couldn't get um, full scholarships to university, so I got full tuition scholarships, but that wasn't enough to, you know, to pay for the rest. And, you know, as you may suspect, in the USA, you think, okay, let's say the cost of university is $60,000. Yeah. If I pay, if I, if I pay $50,000, you can come up with $10,000 a year. Mm. I mean, if you had paid you know, 58000 I wouldn't have come up with $2,000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a bunch of presidential scholarships but I didn't even have like airfare to you know, go back and forth and, and pay for a bunch of things and I didn't want to take uh, student loan mm. so I couldn't go to university so when I went back to Tanzania I was really good with graphic design when I was in the US and I had run community development projects so I went back to Tanzania started looking for jobs people asking me for my degree which I didn't have but I'm like I'm skilled more than anyone in this place like just just try me out. Okay, no one gave me a chance, so I started my graphic design and video production business. Very um, cool. So that was that went well for a minute. So I was doing you know weddings, you know church stuff, and as you can imagine, but then we had a new problem. This is understanding now the culture of the buyer. The problem mm. I had was you know Tanzanians weren't assigning the same value to design and video editing and so forth as americans mm-hmm. so they were not paying first of all not paying the correct amount and not paying the full amount so they'll pay 50 percent up front and they don't finish up the rest of the 50 percent so the business didn't work out so i was burning more money than i'm generating mm-hmm. and had a lot of you know outstanding deals um from from customers so i ended up you know stopping that business so, after seeing that the business environment is different because people assign, they don't assign as much value as Americans, I decided to go into community development. So, I started doing it on my own, started, um, you know, got a lot of uh, community leaders in a certain village in, in Morogoro to back me on providing land and resources to set up wells for young people to start agricultural activities and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have the funds to finish up the rest of the of the uh, well installments. I started raising the funds, and people were asking me, like, you know, how old are you? I was nineteen at the time. Like, shouldn't you be doing, like, you know, masters or bachelors or something, and get some work experience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no one took me seriously. There's a lot of ageism in Africa, right? So no yep, one took yep. me seriously. So I decided to join the UN. So mm-hmm. the UN has a, has a youth arm, right? So I joined the UN through the youth arm and started doing projects through that, and it worked now. So now I was not, I was not going as Joseph. I was going as, as the UN. I raised, um, you know, quite a bit and started doing all these community development projects. And they were mainly, you know, setting up wells. Um, my thinking at the time was, you know, these young people, you know, they finished college or uh, high school, they're jobless. Um the you know, low low hanging fruit is agriculture. So get them access to water, they can cultivate, they can, you know, have like vegetables or fruit gardens and so forth, and then sell it to the market and then have that quick cycle of generating revenue. Mm. So we did that, worked well. Um, then I went I got a huge opportunity because of the success of those projects.
2: Mm-hmm. I went to
1: Indonesia to train as now the committed moment expert. And from there, I started doing, you know, trainings, uh, training other people to run such projects until in 2013, where I got an opportunity to go to Lehigh University for a postgraduate
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: program. And after that program, that's when I started doing consulting, started getting all these consulting gigs, um, you know, as an independent consultant, helping multinational companies expand into, into emerging markets. Um, that worked well. I used the money from those gigs, which was huge at the time. It was like most money I've ever made. Uh, invested in agriculture, you know, like rice farming, maize, and every single one of my ventures failed. <laughs> Terribly. And the failure was like, for instance, rice, I had a, had like 100 acres of rice, you know, and, and, you know, we have in Tanzania, we have the Maasai tribe. And these guys mm-hmm. do, they move from place to place, right? So yeah. They moved like 200, was 400, like two groups of 200 cows each. They ate the entire field. (laughs) So we just and you can't sue them because these guys have a you know a lot a lot of money and they can pay off judges and all that stuff. So I ended up making a lot of losses in agricultural ventures. So I I quit agriculture and I was done with that for good. Then started a worst management firm, and the opportunity I saw there was. People in Tanzania lose a lot of money in uh, from retirement. So they retire at 60. Maybe yep. they get their pension at 61. By 63, they don't have a dime, right? Mm-hmm. 65 at best. The reason is because they give out their money to their kids. They start, you know, finish up building the house, you know, finance their relatives. So they lose all their money and go broke by 65. Mm-hmm. So I started this, and they don't have any idea about the bonds that the central bank. They don't have any idea... For the stock market or any other investment instruments. So I started this was management firm to help the retirees, you know, you know, sort out their cash and make sure they don't go bankrupt. But their kids came after me, like, you know, you you're 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 ruining our you're you're the bad our guy. payout. He's the bad guy. <laughs> exactly. So I was threatened, you know, to to you know close shop, otherwise uh, you know you get attacked and things like that. So I ended up closing shop. So after doing a lot of stunts, I was like, okay, this, this piece of Africa doesn't work for me, right? I need to switch a country. I need to go somewhere else and then do, do business in a different country where, you know, the consumer culture, the business culture is completely different. The mindset is different. So that's how I moved to, um, at that time, I got a full sponsorship to go to the African Leadership University. And it's in Mauritius. At the time they were starting it, um, and I was like, yeah, this is a good, good um, way for me to actually switch the environment and be in a different location and start building from there. So I went to um, ALU to start the, the university there with an the, the inaugural class, excellent experience. And that's where was, you know, I've been based in Mauritius since. So I'm, I'm a resident in Mauritius, mm-hmm. um, even right now. So I have two residences right now. So I've been there since. And from there now, I, you know, had it in Italy, had, you know, spent time in Italy in 2016, spent time in Scotland in 2017, uh, spent in all those countries. I was doing consulting and then I was, um, you know, getting new customers and things like that. But with my base being Mauritius, so I stopped having my base in Tanzania Mm -hmm. due to all the failures I had. And after all that moving around France, South Africa, and so forth, then I ended up, um, you know, with which was in 2021, and then relocating to the U.S. Um, because, because, and the relocation to the U.S. was, when we started was in 2021, I was based in Mauritius. The company mm-hmm. was always a U.S. company, but I was living in Mauritius. And my idea was, Eric and I were like, okay, we're Africans. We're going to start an African startup for Africa, by African, you know, with African products, super, super um, patriotic and all. Oh, yeah. But... African businesses weren't that interested, right? <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> and true. we kind of saw this coming, but we didn't know that it would be to the extent that even if you have a product that's obviously superior, uh, yep. people jump on it. In our first customer, so we were doing a lot of outbound in Africa without getting anywhere. And we started getting random inbounds from LinkedIn, from mm-hmm. companies in the UK and the US and so forth. And that's when we realized we're actually in the wrong mind. It's not, you know, like as a startup, you'd think that maybe you have a problem with your product or your business model, your pricing or something. And we're struggling that maybe there's a the product here. Yeah. But the, the problem was we are targeting the wrong consumer yeah. profile, like the wrong customer profile. Yeah. So when we switched our attention to U.S. companies and U.K. companies, European companies and so forth, you know, everything boomed. Business boomed, right? And we're like, okay, so this is, this is it we're going to switch. So we relocated now to LA. Um, mm. And and now the funny thing, after we had large
0: companies as customers, then the African companies came. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works, so, my friend, for emerging markets, whether you're in India or in yes. any part of Africa they want to see you succeeding in, in western world and if it works there it, yes it, it should yeah, work there. Very... you need to make those tweaks and changes but then the the, the credibility level is one notch higher so so that was
1: so, that was the experience that was the experience that's how we ended up um, so, I ended up so joseph
0: before before you started razi with Right after you graduated from high school, you knew how to, to build the website for Ruazi a decade later, given your yes graphic designing kind of background. You yes. you worked with a lot of people, your foot soldiers, which is a new question I've yes. come to. But when you worked with the community, you knew how to deal with people. And yes. then when you worked with the UN, you, you got to know... How do you go, how do you go and, and, and fundraise? Fundraise, yes. Then when you're working in consulting, you're wearing the suit and the tie and you knew yes. how to hobnob with the big the FMCGs and the CPS and yes. whatnot. So basically, yes. all of that was your practical training ground leading up to Rwazi, maybe about seven or eight years down the line. Yes,
1: correct. 100%. And you failed.
0: And you failed. You, yes. you you raise money and you lost yeah. money as well, which also is a big, yes. big learning because a lot of times, raising money is probably not as difficult than losing money, yes. which is very difficult. And to digest that is an even bitter pill to swallow. Yes, 100%. 100%. So, you did all of that. Your entrepreneurship training was on the ground for eight years. It was not a two-year MBA. It was an eight-year yes. training on the ground.
1: <laughs> 100%. Yes, yes. You're right. 100%. Yeah. Great. And... and so, you know, in the process, you know, we, uh, young people don't see that their experiences are going to, to materialize or monetize later, right? So when I was in the UN, you know, I was like, oh, no, now, you know, I couldn't get to college, so now I have to do this. I you know, I couldn't run a business, so now let me just do community development projects. I didn't know that I would need the skill building communities and so forth to build them up a network, Right. So mm-hmm. all these things when you're in it, you don't see how you're going to use it later
0: on in life. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but it turned out. Yeah, really. That's that's experiential learning. Yes, yes, yes. So now I, I come to Ruazi, the, the business or the company. So yes, it's it's not just Joseph. You you have a co-founder, yes. you have a leadership team. Where did you find yes. these guys? And and how do you meet and, and how do you kind of get along kind of building Ruazi?
1: Yes, so I met
0: Eric, uh, who is my
1: co-founder, at uh, in college. So we're in the same class um, at the African Leadership University, and I did business management. There. And mm-hmm. Eric, the, the, so my because my failures before were because of not having a correct co-founder, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I learned this along the way because there's a time there was a time um, I had a digital magazine. So I had <laughs> I've had a lot of businesses. There's a time I had a digital <laughs> magazine and. I had a group team and we had like 20,000 um, 20, readers a month. You know, we're doing pretty well. Across mm. like 87 countries worldwide. And we had an investment offer of $200,000. And mm-hmm. at that time, it was like year one at, at the African-American mm-hmm. University. There were twenty thousand dollars investment offer and none of my co-founders wanted to leave college mm. to go full on with the business. And I was extremely heartbroken. I and why, why was know. that was
0: it was it a cultural reason that they didn't want to or, or what was it no it was yeah it was because they needed to get their
1: degree and mm. you know please yeah. their parents and then yeah. go to corporate you know they they were afraid that twenty thousand isn't enough to like pay mm. salaries and maybe what if we fail right mm. Mm. so at that point I it was like so clear to me that I need someone who is absolutely insane like the insanity level has to match my level or more right yeah someone who doesn't like high, 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 you know, level of tolerance of risk um, and has huge dreams and is willing to flip mountains to get there, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So since since then, I was looking for that kind of person. I had a lot of friends, but my gauge was who has the guts to do something nuts. Mm -hmm. And Eric was that guy, right? And the way I knew, so Eric's main skill is we're extremely different. So I want stability and certainty and control. So when mm-hmm. I'm running Roasi, I want to make sure our cash flows are perfect I make sure we're profitable. I sure everything is, pa- we're getting customers retained, you know, the customer retention is 100%. I want, I want everything to be perfect. Yep. Eric thrives when there's chaos. So when things <laughs> are falling apart, when you can't get customers, <laughs> when, when you're depleting your cash reserves, that's when Eric is, is, in, is like, it is perfect 100% alignment. And I needed someone like that. I needed a fixer. I needed someone who thrives in chaos because I don't thrive in chaos. And when things fall apart, and I had seen this with my ventures before, when things are falling apart, I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to fix them from my wins, right? So I need to have calculated for it before. So when I met Eric and through, you know, through our work, we started working and consulting together. And I would see how he saves the day when everything is full, you know, when when the sky falls, and, and, you know, maybe we've run out of cash, we've spent more um, cash on a project than we need. And we still need the same deliverable and so forth. Or the timeline is crushed. I would see how Eric, like, how Eric thrives in that kind of pressure. Hmm. And that's when I realized, and how, and Eric has a huge, because he's a fixer, he has a massive ability to get funds. Right. So, for me, I have. If I want to raise funds, I have to calculate, I have to do research, I have to have my pipeline, I have to work through the pipeline. I'm super organized. Eric will get, if you run out of money, let's say, you know, in the evening, and you yeah. need, like, you need, you have a cash gap of, let's say, $50,000, Eric will get it by tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., right? <laughs> it's like magic. It's like magic. It's like magic. And I needed someone who has that kind of ability, a fixer. And that's how I was like, okay, Eric Eric is my guy, and he has now, in terms of, like, technical expertise, he worked in capital markets. Yep. So he has a very, very big understanding of finance, and money, and raising money, and he's not shy. You know, like, my my disadvantage was, based on my upbringing, we were raised not, never to beg, never to ask, right? So, yep. so, like, when I'm learning, you know, I've learned from Eric for all these years, but... You know, like, by default, I was the kind of guy who would, you know, if you go homeless, you'd actually be kicked out of your house and you go homeless. Hmm. But Eric is the kind of guy, if he's behind on rent, he'll just call up his friends. Like, help me out. I'm behind sure. on rent. I'll pay you back with interest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you don't need, like, that's a very huge sales skill that, yeah. that you know, traditionally or by default, the way kids are raised in Africa, yeah. you don't have it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had Eric partner with Eric. And I, I initially we had, because we were working on similar projects, we mm-hmm. said we need a data portal where we just like aggregate all the de- data and, and so forth. But then we found that, you know, there's no way to actually get the data because the data doesn't exist. So we need to fix how to collect it and then have the the platform uh, afterwards. And we, we did all these runs together. We spent our own money um, mm. initially together. And because it's Eric, we ended up, you know, being able to, like, fold, you know, sustain the company yep. um, through various means so grants before we go to our customers. So that was grants, that was yep. debt, that was, you know, a combination of so many things until we started getting our first customer and, you know, initial customers. And then we started financing the company. Then we quickly turned the profits and paid back all our debts and all that. And we're back in business. And these are, like, personal debts. So yep. take, you know, like, Eric is the kind of guy who will take... Because he, he, he has a huge risk appetite and he will take on oversized risks yeah. so like and bet on himself. So, you know, I'll take that. It's on my head. If I don't pay, you take my
0: shoes and my belt. <laughs> but you know, Joseph, you, you basically you asked for it because at the beginning of the conversation, you said you wanted someone more crazier than you. At yes, time. yes,
1: yes, yes. And I'm the luckiest guy alive. I could not have run Ruazi without Eric because I can run when things. Are going correctly, I can make sure the ship is sailing right. Yeah. Well, Eric comes in when the when the bomb has hit the ship, and the ship is now yeah. <laughs> crafted in half, <laughs> and you don't have lifeboats. So yeah. now that's where Eric comes in.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I mean, for anyone who's who's listening in live or who's going to to hear it in in the, in the the Spotify podcast that we put up, I guess it's it's almost like the yin and the yang. I mean, you need to be kind of yes. interconnected but at the yes. same time you you need to find a, a crazy guy like eric i mean who is equally passionate but at yes. the same time you you need you need that balance and and only then yes. the i mean so i so i've lived and worked in tanzania so i started my career in 2004 living in dar es salaam for 4 years oh, and nice. there, there nice. used to be this this guy called enos mfinanga and uh-huh. he always used to give the example of the railway tracks and yes. he's like you know what, in business, you need to be running parallelly at times, like the, the railway tracks, because yeah. the moment the tracks come together, the bogey or the carriage collapses, it falls off. Yes. So you yes, need that running yeah. in parallel. But at the same yeah. time, each one does his, his role or her role to kind of uh, perfect yes. So finding yes. that really solid fit with a co founder, I think that's, that's the, the key message. Yeah. And it's like marriage, right? I mean, you, you can date, you can kind of be around, but when you know that this is the right person who's going to kind of bring that balance, I think that's that's your co-founder. Because you'll probably be spending more time with him or her as a co-founder than your, your spouse probably. And yes, that's 100%. Yes, yes. For sure, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Very cool.
1: picking a correct co-founder who can do sales, who can do fundraising, who can yeah. do these massive things yeah. that you can't do is the most important decision. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you're, and in you're in it together. You're in it together. Yes, yes, 100%. Yeah.
0: 100%. So coming to the, the next question, Joseph, so you have like 50,000 plus foot soldiers. So if you're going to battle, yeah. you need to have an army and your army are your foot soldiers yes. who are doing the mapping. So how yes. do you kind of qualify them? Because this is almost like contributing to economic development by virtue yes. of gig economy. But yes. at the same time, you're also empowering them with some kind of technology for doing the mapping. So if you can talk yes. a bit about that.
1: Yes, so the way we, um, so for them, it works like Uber. So they have a mobile app, they also have a web app. And for the web app, the notifications are sent uh, via SMS. For the mobile app, it's normal, you know, mobile notifications. And all these are integrated with, um, so we use FlatterWave for payment. So that's a very complicated thing to pay 50,000 plus people across multiple countries, because they have all these different rules, they have different uh, payment structures. Etc. So we use Flutterwave as a payment infrastructure. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course we bandage with other solutions in different cases because there's a time Flutterwave wasn't working with Kenya and so forth. But we have other, like Pioneer and other, you know, solutions that we bandage together to get that done. So these guys, works like Uber, they get notifications to log certain products when they buy, um, when they do grocery shopping at retail outlets. And for every submission, you have tight. We have extremely tight, um, you know, geolocation um, and geolocation tracking, right? Mm-hmm. So we use your fencing for locate for retail outlets and also households. Yeah. Uh, and every image, and we take images when they are submitting products that they use, and so forth, and images are geotagged and time stamped, right? That's mm-hmm. to to verify um, the the when and the and the, the where, right? Yep. And you have, we have all these layers of, units. You know, so we have, in, you know, in-app verification and then we have database verification of date of, of the, of the submissions and once submissions are verified, then the, the mappers get paid and mappers are consumers, mappers who get gigs have to be consumers of that product or similar products in, in, in the category. So for instance, if you're not, you know, if you don't drink alcohol, you're not going to get alcohol-related gigs. If you mm. don't drink, if you don't smoke, you're not going to get cigarette-related gigs, and so forth. Right? There are yep. gigs that apply to almost everyone, like soda and toothpaste, and so forth, and the gigs that are more specialized, um, gigs like mobile money. If you don't, if you don't use mobile money, and you have countries in Africa where mobile money isn't a thing, mm. then you know that's not going to apply, and and that's how we all rotate. So in in uh, internally we have an admin panel where we have mappers across filters so you know filters by how many kids they have how much income they're making you know how you know how how if they're if, if they have a partner or if they're single because they have different spending behavior if someone has a partner or is, is single the, the the behavior is different um you know if they if they you know, have a level of education, uh, what kind of work they're doing, you know, commuting times and set. So, a lot of data per person. Hmm. And they the advantage that for us, um, my focus has been let's make it such that companies, um, like consumers, end for companies to get this kind of data, right? Because companies are going to end a lot more from this data by sending to you know, the same consumers or similar consumers. So we need to create shared value where also these consumers from which you're getting the data are earning uh, in the process. And that's what we've been able to provide to our, to our mappers.
0: No, I mean, as you speak, I mean, the the kind of things that you're talking about from a data richness perspective, I mean, you could very well get into a business of being someone who is doing KYC. You yes. could be. You could become someone who is within the store setting up, those beacons and lo-fi kind of technology for doing yes. targeted kind of marketing yes. and martech, whatever you could possibly become a fintech tomorrow. Yes, 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 yes.
1: Pro, yes. So. That, those yeah. are all. Yeah, those are all potential business. Like we have had customers who asked us yeah. to post ads in the app and things like that. We we are yeah. So like in in the few as we grow, those are all potential areas where we can uh we can jump into. Because we have, you know, instance, because, you know, now someone's going to spend this, Is you know, is budgeting for this, can't find this kind of product and so forth. So we can connect, we can add, you know, different um, services to it and and expand. And that's, you know, we in our pipeline, like business roadmap, we have uh, different uh, business lines that will be rolling out in the coming, you know, five to 10 years timeline.
0: Of course, I mean, and look look forward to all of that. So coming to my, my next question, uh, amongst all markets, I mean, which, which would be your top two to three markets? So for us, we define market as where we get
1: customers from. Correct. And that's the US, UK, and right now, France. So US, uh-huh. UK, and France are, you know, the, the highest concentration of the companies that will, you know that are looking for data from uh, from this market, from uh, where the consumers are, mm. and in terms of the constitution for us, constitution of consumers is determined by subscriptions from companies. And at the moment, um, the highest um, concentration is uh, you know Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda. So those are top mm. three. Um, okay. And of course, following that, you have Ghana and then you have uh, Tanzania and, and so forth. But those are the top three names
0: of where these companies want to get data from. Very cool. Very cool. But I mean, when you're talking about where you met your co founder and, and the Mauritius Africa Leadership University, so would you have been kind of batchmates or close to Ian Usiri or Ramani?
1: Who? Slimani? Did you say Ian, uh, Ian, with who?
0: Ian Usiri of Ramani? Uh, C, uh,
1: no, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I think they no, were one like of the,
0: the first or the earliest companies from Tanzania to get into YC. I think Ian and his brother, I think they went. Oh, to
1: Ian, no, I think Ian is old, is like older. Like, in. Ian, Ian um, no, I I think. I think it's the second. Either it's the 2017 batch, probably.
0: Yeah, probably. yeah. It's probably like
1: some batch later. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure if I know them because I didn't. I can't recall. If oh, I okay. know like no. The yeah.
0: reason I referenced him because I mean, I mean, they're doing stuff working with uh, the mom and pop stores and and retail and CPG. But the reason, nice. the main reason, I wanted to to chat with you on on that point. So they got into to YC. You guys got into Techstars LA. Why why did you apply into a a Techstars program? And what was your experience? Like if entrepreneurs listening in now or uh, in the recording, they want to know the importance of getting into a program like this. I mean, why would you do that?
1: Yes. So I picked
0: Techstars because
1: it has um, a huge corporate network than any other accelerator. Mm -hmm. And our interest, because we turned the profit from day one, our interest was just getting more customers and making money, right? So, you know, in the end, um, I think most entrepreneurs tend to want to forget that a startup is not a project, it's not a science project, it's a business, which means it needs to generate revenue and as soon as possible profits. And, you know, rather than rely on just raise, 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 raise with something that is actually not returning anything. So, for us, Eric and I, we've always had the traditional, um, you know, mindset of business and profit. Um, like revenue and profit first. Yep. So, Texas provided that. YC is a product um, accelerator. So, if mm-hmm. you're just focus more on product and you want to raise money to get, you know, free users, blah, 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 and eventually, yep. that's when you go to YC. If yep. you want to get, and 500 Startup is also the same. So, mm-hmm. engineering product, um, you know, leans accelerator Textas has many many programs of course and it has the, the the normal product you know programs and it has the the you know more balanced programs and the, the la program for me your know, matt kozlov who runs the la program yeah um has a background you know he's been at bain and disney and all these places and I saw his profile. like, this is a guy who would understand, understand what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And because the program was in person, I needed... I understand how you know, corporate business works. You need to physically meet people and, and do sales that way. So I needed to be in location. So I looked for a program that was in person, aligned with... The MD aligns with, um, with what we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's going to give us a huge corporate network. And we, we quintipled our revenue. Um, yep. Through Texas, right? Yep. That was a huge, huge advantage, and that's because when you join a huge program like Texas, what you get is that social stamp that your business is truly innovative, right? You get that, of like course. if you go into Y Combinator, Texas, foreign startup, and the like. What the point is for you to get that proof that you're an innovative, you know, startup, right? Yeah, And through that in Texas, once Texas has brought you in, you, everyone in their corporate network takes you as a true innovator and they take you seriously. So you're now not a nobody or someone they don't know who's trying to get business. But now you're now a true company that's going to change how they do business. And that's yep. how we got a lot of business through that. It was very fast. Like, there's absolutely no way I would have gotten 500, you know, Fortune 500 clients if it wasn't through Texas. No way. Right? Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's um, a and,
0: major validation. Major validation
1: yes, for the business. Yeah. Yes, huge, huge. And we had, um, in Texas, they have a program, uh, you know, like, uh, after first week, you have mental Magic, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mentor Magic or mental Madness. Mental Madness, yeah. Yeah, it's a period where you talk to 150 different mentors.
2: Yeah. Now, you have to
1: understand that the mentors you're talking to, like, that's why I picked the LA program. Mm. Because the mentors in the LA program are people who have sold... Companies of 500 million, you know, people who have hundreds of millions of dollars, running hundreds of millions of dollars or billion-dollar companies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And these guys are telling you they're help, You know, you, the point for you is not pitching them your business. The point yeah. is telling them all your problems and challenges so they fix. You know, they like give you a, a hack to go around them within those 30 minutes that you have parmento, mentor in subsequent sessions. Roll up and, your sleeves and in the trenches exactly exactly and you have no idea how much those three weeks of mental magic like you come in at this level you come out like for instance we were selling our packages at one thousand dollars a month subscriptions hmm. Hmm. one of the mentors was like no they, look let me look at the thing they looked at the dashboard like no the, the data is too valuable to be sold at one thousand dollars change everything to ten thousand dollars minimum Yep. And we did. For us, we like, okay, you know, you've sold the country at 500 million. Yes, sir, I'll, I'll do what you... Yeah, I'll do it. Says <laughs> then we changed ten thousand dollars That's how we quintipled our revenue in two minutes. Because we were understanding. And why were we understanding? We Mauritius, and, you know, we are saying to African companies, and they're like, oh, the price is too much, mm-hmm. and this and that. And now you introduce the new world to the U.S. I'm like, yeah. these guys are like, what are you talking about? These are pennies. So yeah. you changed... Like, by changing our price, just adding a zero, we can mm-hmm. keep on the running, right? Yeah. So, you need, like, for founders, you need to speak with someone who is playing in billions mm. for you to elevate your thinking and what you what you think is possible, right? Yeah. And that's how we end up. And, you know, fundraising, for us, we weren't looking at fundraising. And we came in with the mindset of, look, if anyone is interested to funders i mean we are open to it we're not looking for it but we're open to it so we're like okay we'll we'll take a million dollars right mm-hmm. and then we met mentors they're like no a million a million dollars is not enough right so you know i would think based on your business maybe you need 3 million right
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and then 3 million is like okay so we'll raise 3 million so then we at demo day we had Four point five million dollars in in investment commitments. Yeah. So, this this can only happen if you went through accelerators like Texas mm-hmm. and you're in the U.S., right? Yeah, and that's what I tell like you know startup founders in Africa and other places. If you can apply to all these accelerate you know accelerator programs, yeah, the ones that match your business model and so forth, and raise money in the U.S., you get the most. You know, the most funding at the best price with the correct investors who can take your business to the next
0: level. That and and more than that, I think pricing as a discovery business. So one of the challenges, I mean, we have been operating programs in in Africa for the past better part of last two, two and a half years. The the challenge, if you compare it with North America or probably even India, uh, if you look at first-time entrepreneurs who have have gone to decent universities and colleges, the kind of peer network that is available in in the U.S. or Asia, for that matter, is is lacking. I mean, someone who has left the borders has left. He's not coming back. And that is a huge miss for young people who are building for the first time in the continent. And when you get back, and even from, from diaspora perspective, there's a lot of connect back, People who have had the best of both worlds. I've been. I've, I. was born in probably Lagos, but I grew up and went to school in New York. I've yes. worked worked on Bank Street. I've been there for a long time. I understand where you come from, but I also get it how you need to position and package yourself. And and that's why it's it's a very different world out there. And and startups need to kind of think beyond just funding. I mean, yes. it's, like you said, right? I mean, someone who has built a, a billion dollar company and exited it. Probably yes. he, he or she knows a little bit more or better than you, and yes. they give you those little nuggets, which is just like adding a zero to your price, yes. which you probably would have never thought yes. of, and yes. that completely changes the game for you. Yes. So even if someone hundred doesn't hundred. invest in you, if they help you build a robust business, yes, there is no better way than making money than making money from your customer. That's the yes. best way. Yes. Correct
1: statement. Correct. There is no better way of making money because the the money. Like in, people want investment 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 isn't that investment isn't your money actually you know is it your money you need to generate a return on it the only money that actually belongs to the company is the customers you know the, the customer payments right revenue and of course profits and so forth and you have the most freedom the more the more revenue you can, you can generate the more freedom you get as the as a founder right on running a company making all the decisions and so forth so Rather than um, I so many founders just think about oh money money money, but mm. there's something if you get someone who can help you get customers, if you get someone who can help you get a channel partners for sales. Because sales,
2: mm.
1: if you if you're fresh from college, first of all, I I don't tell people to go start a business after college. Terrible idea. Have to yep. go to corporate, build the networks, and then do a business. So yep. if you if you start a business, you need Imagine you have like an advisor also who is from, let's say if you're saying physical products and you have an advisor who is from a chain of, you know, retail outlets or who runs a huge e-commerce platform and things like like channel partners or who runs a consulting firm who can uh, have your product as an add-on on their business and things like that mm-hmm. to increase your sales automatically. I think that's the, that should be the uh, primary focus for founders. And then, secondary focus is now how do I expand to other markets and get more customers and, and optimize on all of this? Investments will always come if you're making revenue. For us, we only raised because we were making way more revenue. We're making revenue that a Series A startup makes, mm-hmm. and we hadn't even raised anything. And that's yep. how we got to raise in a you know, different economic you know, climate. And okay. I think I- that's the advantage that startups need to, to look
0: at. Yeah, and always make uh, money chase you, man. I mean, if you, yes. you, you build the right business, money will follow. I mean, yes. as much as, as founders fear fear on on losing out, raising capital, investors fear even more deploying capital. They're like, I want to get into the yes. company. They're going to chase you. They're going to come after you. Yes, yes, um, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, so yeah. with that, I, I mean, we are nearing the hour. And Joseph, I'll, I'll, I'll do the last question with you. What's your words of advice for someone building for Africa, whether they're sitting in some part of African building or from elsewhere, what would be your words of advice for entrepreneurs building for Africa? I would say um, keep it simple.
1: Truly understand the culture of an African, right? Understand Mm -hmm. their preference, understand how they buy, how they make their decisions. It's not the same as you'd find in other places and respect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much easier if you don't try to force adoption to be cheaper. If you try to force adoption you burn so much money and you most probably won't have that adoption you're looking for. So what are African consumers doing right now? What are they missing? Right? So if you're, if you're founder like, what's the completely normal, common thing that they're missing? I look at people who try to sell, you know, cryptocurrencies and, and you know, such things. I'm like, yep. Do you know Africa? Like, have you been in Africa? Like, maybe you've been in New York for a long time and you've forgotten, well, actually. Africans are not going to use this cryptocurrency. The two people who are on Twitter spaces, the, 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 the Joseph and they, those are not the actual, actual normal Africans. Those are like the, the one percenters, all the time, right? The normal everyday African, you know, everyday African drives, even if that person drives the V8 or the Range Rover, Mm-hmm. they will still use charcoal to cook they yeah. will still go to buy products at the local market they are not going to go to a supermarket so mm-hmm. if this person who drives the range rover uses cash doesn't use credit cards doesn't mm-hmm. buy from his market why do you think they're going to use the you know Ethereum <laughs> and, and then bitcoin and all the money things? that they cannot see yes. <laughs> or touch or feel. Yeah. yes 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 and respect like we get data from all these um consumers i understand why they don't use you know they don't use They don't have um, adaptation from to the cashless um, transactions because banks, like banks, most of the banks steal from from their accounts. They do a lot of weird things. But so, like, understand what the consumer wants, how they behave, and build a product within that. Build a product that will not need adaptation, right? That's flowing. That's going flawlessly into the current workings of how these guys operate then you'll capture market. That's, that's because I'm, just, I'm saying this because I'm optimizing for revenue. By yep. doing that, you get revenue. And then, as you have enough revenue and then maybe you have funding, then you start releasing, you know, parallel products that will need adoption and you start burning money into driving adoption to test it out. But you need that customer base and revenue. So you need to build a product that's common, needed, you know, and is... Flowing into the current consumption part there.
0: We couldn't have had a, a better person talk about consumer behavior or customer behavior than someone who is living that yeah. day in and day out. And like <laughs> someone wise said, the customer is always the king and the queen. So yes, you yes. got to kind of respect that.
1: Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: Awesome, Joseph. This was this was amazing uh, having a chat with you, knowing more about the the journey of Ruazi, uh, the kind of problem yes. you're solving. And and what do you think about solving for customer? I mean, being customer-centric is probably the most important thing for any business. And any yeah. founders or anyone wanting to build a business, I think this is the, the most fundamental rule or thing that they need to know before they start building something. And yes. it was amazing kind of listening, everything that you said. I'm definitely going to be back in touch with you. But thank you for the, the conversation. Maybe we just open up the floor. We have like a few few folks who have joined us live. If anyone wants to ask a question, maybe we just take one question. So please yeah. feel free. You can just request to speak and uh, Emmanuel will, will kind of unmute you and you can ask a question. If Samuel, Raheem, Joki, Barbara, if you have a question.
2: It's uh, Elijah. Yes, hello. Yeah, Joseph, it's Emmanuel. I just have a question. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I want to understand... Uh, you mentioned the mappers that you you use. Uh, how do you identify whether they are married or whether they need to pick whether they take alcohol? Let's say maybe someone's going to pick this kind of information. How do you yeah. make sure that you you get that? Then my second part is, uh, you mentioned something when you do not. Uh, I didn't get it right. Whether you do not collect the data or do not analyze this information, you mainly collect the information from the consumers that you give to the companies that are requesting it. Uh, I wanted you to clarify on that. Like, are you like a data? Because you, it's. A, I know it's a marketing intelligence tool. So, do you go into different markets and say, okay, now as you mentioned, maybe Coca-Cola wants to understand what is the purchasing power of people in Uganda. How do you? How do you get your data and uh, what makes you different from other competitors, as you were saying?
1: Yeah. So the, the first
2: part, um, as I said, we use images
1: um, that are just at the timestamped. So everything is verified with images. So you have certificates, you have, if it's products, you have images of actual products in the house, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so that's the first part to verify the um, the information submissions that mappers are doing, whether it's profile submissions, um, whether it's uh, the product submissions that they have in their homes, which soap are they using in their bathroom, that's an image, you know, what you know, beer have they stocked in their house and so forth. Those are images. Um, you know, certificates for the education, you know, all those things are like image, image verify, verifiable via images. Um the second part is um, it's tracked. It's not, I think, you have to understand the difference between research and Google Ads platform. If you have used Google Ads or Facebook Ads, it's easier to digest if you think of it that way. So you go on Facebook, you want to reach, you know, you want your post to reach 1,000 people in Nairobi. You go on Facebook, you put your demographic details, you put your, the number of people you want to reach, da-da-da, you put in your budget and you launch. And then you reach those people, and then you have uh, analytics of who those people are and where they're staying, you know, where they're located, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. So that's that's the that's how we roll, right? So it's, it's you log where you want, you know, what kind of consumers you want to track on a regular basis. So this is not a one-time thing. Um, you want to track, you know, like you know, consumption of let's say Coca-Cola, you know, in Kampala across 10,000 consumers, 10,000 consumers on a monthly basis and because you want to see patterns There's, that can be tracked by only through time so then you launch and then you have on the on your dashboard you see the analytics you need the data come in as an analytics and then with time the trends start to you know map and that's what you get you don't you know you don't get recommend like uh, you know a report a written report of you know, Uganda is a country with X number of people and then that, the same thing you'd get in Deloitte. If you if you buy, if you ask Deloitte to do that, they'll do a one time thing. They can't do it regularly. They would do a one time thing and then they would go into you know Uganda, let's look at the GDP, eh, we talk to fifty people and this is what they have said, and therefore this is the thing. But that's not true. You need to see every time Joseph goes to buy groceries, what do they buy and what else is there. So every time they go to buy Soda, where do they go? And well, what point in which day did they buy Soda, which brand did they buy, and what other brands were there? You we want to track that every time. So no one-offs, no, one-offs, no reports, no texts. It's analytics dashboard. Now, company can use that data to write to, for them to drive strategies, run market, trade marketing campaigns, um, you know, digital marketing campaigns and a bunch of other things from that data, right? So the data, is, can, the data is extracted and can be, you know, used to do all sorts of things. But for us, the primary things are identify retail locations where you can put your product if you're a consumer packaged goods company, um, you know, uh, drive hyperlocal pricing and packaging and also drive, deliver hyperlocal messaging. If you're a services company, like for instance, we track you know banking data, credit card data, and a bunch of other things like that. That one is for companies to now deliver you know localized products, right? Um, like what kind of reward programs consumers want? Why don't they keep their money in the bank accounts? And which bank brand do they trust? And why? Why are they for instance, Nigeria right now is seeing a negative um, negative uh, rate of uh, bank account openings, right? So to the extent that banks have to actually forge um, you know, like opening accounts, empty accounts with no actual users because there's a huge, huge default. If you look at Tanzania, for instance, Tanzania has had a huge... First of all, the number of the value of transactions that they use for uh, cards, like payment cards, has flattened for the last 10 years. When the value of ATM withdraws, has gone up by, you know, I think 5x, right, in the same period. Which means people are actually getting more, it's becoming a heavier cash-based economy than you'd suspect. And so forth. You have all sorts of things. Um, you know, retail outlets, which ones are using um, mpesa that accept payments, you know, what kind of payment methods are accepted at which locations, and there are a lot of things. But for companies, they track that through time rather than... A, you know, research bespoke research project where they get a PDF document, or they like as a as a developer. I don't know if I answered answer your questions.
0: No, Joseph, I think that was pretty elaborate and and excellent. covered lot lot of points for sure.
2: Excellent, yeah. excellent, excellent.
0: So all right, I think uh, thank you, thank you. It's useful information nuggets. We didn't have that many people join us live, but uh, what we have seen over the past few weeks, uh, when we put it up yes. on Spotify and a bunch of other places, there's a good amount of viewership, yes. and the content yes. stays on. The content stays on for for a very long time in in, in yes. on the internet. So I'm sure a lot of yes. people hum- are going to tune in. They're going to to listen in to what you had to say, and hopefully every day they invite some of those things and apply it to their businesses because. Over the past few years, but the several years before that, which kind of readied you to to build the company. So, thank you so much for sharing your your experience yes. and and knowledge. And have a nice evening.
1: Have have a good one. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, enjoyed um, talking with you, and really looking forward to having more conversations in the future. Have a amazing,
0: amazing. And for our viewers, right. thank we'll you everyone. Back. We'll be back next Wednesday as as we have been doing over the past five weeks. Every Wednesday evening at, at 9 o'clock uh, East Africa time we, we have Founders, I don't say been there, done that because you know, their journey there, building in Africa and for Africa. So tune in to Founders 52 every Wednesday evening at, at 9 p.m. East Africa time and until next week. Thank you. Awesome.